Welcome to the Being Human UT podcast, where Dr. Randy Jasmine and Dr. Jim Hindigas will discuss issues relative to the humanities and technology at Utah Tech University. And now your hosts for Being Human UT podcast, Dr. Randy Jasmine and Dr. Jim Hindigas. Hello, everyone. Um, I am Randy Jasmine. I'm here with my partner, Jim Hendigus, and we've got another episode of the Being Human UT podcast. And Jim, we were talking a little bit in the build-up to this. This is something we don't often do. It's just the two of us. Just you and me. No guest this time. <laughs> Can we pull it off? Are we interesting enough <laughs> so, so. in and of ourselves that we can talk for a reasonable amount of time and people would want to listen to that. What do you think? Uh, well, on the one hand, we have been have we've had a lot of guests, and so I was actually a little nervous because with a guest, you you ask them what they're doing, and they they're more than happy to talk about it. So it puts a little bit more weight on us. On the other hand, we do talk for a living. <laughs> in 50 to an hour and 15 minute increments. So I think we can do it in the sense that I don't know about you, but I have walked into some classrooms with a very limited lesson plan and all of a sudden the class time is over. So I've figured it out over the years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, my experience has gone along those same lines as well. And you always, if it's something that you're interested in, if it's a topic that you've thought and read and written a lot about, that mm -hmm. goes fast. And I think that, you know, in informally preparing for this podcast, I realized covering a lot of the ground that we've already covered, not just, you know, in, in a few moments here, we're going to talk about our guests so far this season, but I just mean the questions that we've been asking and the kinds of discussions we've been having at first, I thought, wow, we're still asking the same questions. Why is humanities so important in a technological world? What can the humanities do to help balance and round out somebody's education? And then I realized we have to keep asking those questions. We have to keep that conversation and that debate, if you will, going because it's so important. And my review of new articles that are out there, things that people are writing about and saying, same sort of thing, you know, rarely, if ever, is the product of technology for other technology, right? Mm -hmm. Human beings are the recipients of technology and how they use and um, kind of share that technology becomes really important. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah. oh, go ahead, sorry. Oh, no, I, I, I agree. I, I think just getting back to the, the basic reason of why we ask questions as opposed to just making statements is you know, we ask questions because we want to investigate the answer and we want to look deeply into what, what is happening. And, you know, it's always something that troubles me is when people come to the table and they think, I, here's a solution for you or here's an answer for you without having a discussion first. And it, it, it always speaks to, and sometimes it seems like a weakness to be able to, well, let's just discuss this a little bit more, but it's not a weakness to be able to thoroughly investigate these subjects. And, and so I, I think about that. I mean, and what better place than, than higher education to just sit in a room and discuss some things. Um, that's, that's a time to pause and to reflect upon what are we doing? And uh, that's that's 
that's what always gets me excited about this place or any other place of higher education. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. That you, you love the debates that you have and you love examining the, the details of the kinds of things that you're talking about, the subjects that you're talking about. Also, as I was preparing, and this will kind of be my last prefatory statement, I thought I'm going to do everything I can for this particular episode to make sure that it's not, you know, we don't have a podcast on AI. We don't have a podcast on ChatGPT specifically. And we have gone down that road so frequently, rightfully so, and discussions, contemporary discussions about technology. But this doesn't have to be today only a conversation about AI. Mm -hmm. Yeah, although I'll bring it up. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, we're we're both going to bring it up. We're both going to talk Mm -hmm. about it. It's unavoidable. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, thinking about it as a as a tool, as we've been talking about, is is a good way for us to, I think anyway, a good way for us to frame it in a productive way and not let it become sort of the be all and end all. Because I think that if we mm-hmm. only talk about AI in the context of, of this podcast, then in some ways we're kind of f- following that pattern of you know, technology for technology's end. And I think that that's something that we, we want to avoid. But um, I, th- I liked your idea of reviewing the talks and the points that were made by our three guests that we've had so far this season, um, Susan Ertel, um, Mike Peterson, and Sylvester Johnson. So um, thinking back on those three, and we don't necessarily have to take them in the order that they appeared on the show um, what are some of the things that stick out to you when you think about what those three folks shared with us when they visit us, visited us on the podcast? Well, when um, we initially thought about inviting Susan, I mean, my thought was Susan's retiring this semester now. Uh, it, it was we when we invited her in the fall, she still had a an, another semester to go, but she's she's retiring and. I always like to validate people who have put in a lot of work and it, sometimes it, the way that society works is that we we don't we just see somebody crossing the finish line and we just look towards okay so who's who's coming up next and those people don't feel like was I voice heard was the history and the experience that I've had in and the, what I've put into my profession is that important, is that valuable. And so that was my motive in, in wanting Su- Susan to share about her experience because she has been an educator for so long and across both K through 12 and higher education. So uh, what I got out of it is just a, a, a lot of wisdom and uh, revisiting that podcast, just an understanding of how education constantly changes, but also stays the same. And going back to your prefatory remarks, it's like we're, we are going to be dealing with foundational ideas. I don't think education changes in technology. It's trajectory doesn't change as drastically as people think, you know, when I've heard I've heard conversations about technology in the classroom where they're always they're going back to historical technologies like the Industrial Revolution, and 
these are the same reactions that people had hundreds of years ago to a technology that now we we think of as old, but that was the advanced technology at the time. So my, my point is that, you know, the, there have been changes, but there also, we need to realize that there's some stable concepts that we can always lean on. And, and so with Susan, I, I, it was a, a good grounding episode for me just to get her experience. But, and I guess my last thing I would say about Susan is that I think she's really great at sort of always op- being open to new ideas, always being open to, all right, to change and to understanding. And so she's never been the type of person, well, this is what I taught. This is how I taught 20 years ago. And this is how I'm teaching now. It's, it, it's, she evolves with the changing times and with, with a degree of empathy and, and compassion. Yeah, that's the, the last point that you made there was the one I was thinking about in relationship to Susan is that her, her techniques and her styles um, seem to be effective as she uses. Uses, I think, is a key word here, the newest technology and helping her students get the most out of their, their um, writing. And, um, you know, she teaches for us as you said, she's got a, a wealth of experience, K through 12, as well as higher ed. But here at Utah Tech, she's taught courses for those who are um, right below the English 1010 barrier, sort of English 1010 boundary. So they're building skills that are going to help them to be successful in English 1010 and 2010, writing a lot of paragraphs, doing a lot with reading comprehension and and things that maybe you and I don't do as much of in our classrooms because we assume that our students have a sort of baseline of knowledge there, but she's able to take what technology has to offer in those very essential skills and allow her students to, to build up their confidence, build up their abilities using technology, using the kinds of things that, you know, we, we take for granted now, but like we talked about when she was here 20 years ago, those weren't the kinds of things that necessarily you saw going on in the classrooms. And, you know, I don't want to, at, at that time when she was a guest, I didn't want to, you know, make this all nostalgia. Oh, I remember and I remember. But there was a certain amount of focus on different technologies, but the goals back then were always the same as well. And I think her work and her teaching really emphasizes that this is what we want our students to be able to do when they come out. I mean, if you think about it, think back to the writing programs that you were in when you were in graduate school and, and the right, the, the outcomes of writing programs here, it's not like those have massively changed no. that we now say, Oh, because we have technology, those were, learning outcomes we had are completely different. They're not. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Susan's work is, is great. I, you know, she has an office right, right next to mine. Most of her classes are in the classroom that's very close to mine. And um, it's just pretty, pretty fun to, to watch what she does in her classroom. And uh, yeah, she's got about eight more weeks to go with it. So we'll see how that uh, yeah. finishes off. But she was a great guest to have. And um, brought, a, brought a great perspective to uh, to our podcast. 
Oh yeah. I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, I'm, I'm glad that she was able to, to talk with us. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, next we have our department chair, our current <laughs> department chair who, who brought a really positive and a really upbeat attitude about AI and the use of AI amongst his students. And since our podcast, I certainly have verified a few things that he talked about, and that is the way that students think that we think about AI, that they're not going to be honest with us if we don't create an atmosphere that is clearly an atmosphere of um, open discussion about mm -hmm. AI. To me, that was one of the biggest takeaways from Mike's presentation, from Mike's discussion, that he tells his students right up front, you know, this isn't a punitive thing. I'm not going to punish you if you're using AI. Let's talk about the way that, ways that you use AI, and let's talk about the ways that we can productively incorporate AI into class. And so I may not be as far down the road as he is in figuring out how to productively use it in the classroom, but I have certainly followed his advice about letting my students know I want them to be open and honest about their use of AI in, in the composition process. Yeah, it, it, it was very refreshing to me. And I, I mean, I appreciate Mike's just general demeanor, which is I, I think he will approach something without a lot of reaction. It was kind of like, well, let's try this. Let's see how this is going to go. And I'm going to be upfront and transparent with my students. And, you know, I, I think that conversation brought out a lot of the reactions that we can have as instructors of, you know, we, we, we generally have a, a fear that students are, are going to be cheating. And so we, we want to make sure that, that, that sort of cheating is policed. And it, it, it was a reminder for me to realize that that emphasis of transparency and focusing our goals on critical thinking and critical reading in, in a composition classroom, as opposed to don't do this, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. I think it probably creates an, an atmosphere of curiosity in the classroom as opposed to an atmosphere of, are you going to do it wrong? <laughs> are you going to break the rules? And uh, I mean, obviously there's a sense of transparency of expectation and what you want to see from your students. But what, what I, I got a lot out of talking with Mike is that, you know, not being afraid to address the, what is impacting the students. And there was also this part of me, and we've talked about this, we talked about this off the air is this idea of, it's also good to understand where the students are at because they may not be obsessed <laughs> with AI as much as we are. Right, um, right. And, and I think it's a good eye opener to, I mean, I think it's, I, I recall Mike saying something to, to the extent of, you know, having the students using AI, there was a sense that might've been some people that didn't really even think to use it. And that would be, that's a wake up call to say that they're not all just huddling in the dark alleys, like exchanging, you know, free papers with each other and, and, and trying to cheat, you know, us all out in our English 2010s and 1010s, that there actually is this genuine curiosity and they just want to fulfill the assignment requirements. And, and so it, it's good to, 
to talk to someone who has that sense of, I don't know, optimism mixed with realism. It, it was, it was nice. I, I need that every once in a while because I can panic sometimes. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a good description. And uh, I also agree with your assessment of Mike's demeanor with, with all of the things that he addresses, um, being one of, of calm inquiry and, you know, again, referring to our off the air conversation that our responses to something that we see as being as important as AI. And like you point out, it may not be as important, probably isn't as important to our students, but we see it as important. So sometimes, um, calmness is not something that's associated with the way we respond to AI. Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting path that we're going on and we just don't necessarily know. I think maybe as, as, as academics and as instructors, we always like to know exactly where it is that we're headed. And when, when something like AI comes into the, into the picture, it's impossible to know exactly where things are going to end up. Right. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, uh, there's a excitement about that too that mm -hmm. I think Mike brought to us when he came and visited us. Um, in December, we had the great privilege of having um, uh, Sylvester Johnson from Virginia Tech come and talk to us. And of course, you know, for us, this was the third time that we had interacted with him because he presented at our global summit in June. And then he came and he spoke, uh, was it in September? It was early in the fall semester. And then he agreed to come and be on our podcast in December. And he, he echoed some of the same sentiments that he had talked about. And that is this idea of looking at the landscape of higher education and looking at the landscape of learning and finding out exactly what it is that we see um, AI in terms of you know, technology and AI in terms of the new college student to use, you know, uh, a term that's, that's a, a term that maybe isn't completely defined or fleshed out, but what is the 21st century college student going to look like? Because, you know, when he talks about the the enrollment cliff that mm -hmm. academics, uh, that higher education is heading, headed for. Maybe some people even say we're, we're experiencing it now already. How are we going to compete for that new college student? Mm -hmm. it, it was, it's funny. I wouldn't say it was a comforting presentation. It, I mean, there was some distressing aspects of looking at the reality of what the future is going to bring, but it, it was, it was a great way to to look forward and say, all right, how do we prepare for the, the changing times? I mean, I, I think that's in, in some ways a reaction to panic of the unknown and a panic of, of what's coming is to just kind of plan for it, to have a plan, not just to, to say, oh, let's just deal with it when we deal with it. And the, the insights that he brought, you know, the... There was there was a lot of prediction based on on evidence, so it wasn't just complete guessing, um, but it but it it was enough to give us some ways to prepare for the future of education. And 
I, I did, I, I'm, as I brought up in that podcast, there were just, uh, uh, I think there were a few questions that I had of just sort of concern, knowing what we've experienced in, in history, what then, what could be distressing about that future vision. But I, I felt like you really answered all my questions and, and put me at ease uh, on, you know, it, I mean, I really think that, that he reminded me that even though there's this new student that we're going to be working with, they're still sort of living, breathing human beings that have, have just basic needs. <laughs> right. <laughs> they're, right. They're, they're, they're not completely different than we were as teenagers. Uh, it, they're still, you know, they have different demands, but they're still going through the struggles and the, the, they still have the same priorities that a 18 to 23 year old would have. And so I, I, it was a nice little reminder and it, and I think it pulled me a little bit out of my academic head space to be able to say, okay, well, they're just, they're, there's all these complications, but they're also still just people who want direction in their career and they're not sure how to get a, they just want to get a job. And uh, that's a good reminder to say, well, you're not passionate about the things I'm passionate about. Well, they're just kind of passionate right now to, to land in a career in which they're going to make a difference in the world. And, and it, so it, it was a good discussion. I was, I appreciate it. So you're saying if one of those students walked in and we'd say, we said to them, you're the new student, you're the new student of the 21st century, they would have no idea what we were talking about. Probably not. <laughs> I, 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 like you said, I need a dorm room. I need to have money yeah, for groceries. Uh, I need to get my assignments done. I need to have an active and vibrant social life. I need to do these things that, you know, college students do. Mm -hmm. And we as um, instructors need to make sure that we are continuing to do our part in terms of helping them towards that job, towards that career, towards that, you know, you and I often talk about this, that, you know, writing, the ability to write and communicate effectively, primarily through writing, but also through presentation is such a valuable tool that, you know, it's life-changing, you mm -hmm. know, it, it is a life-changing discipline that we teach if we're able to effectively impart that those skills and those abilities to our students. So I, I, I appreciate your comments in terms of kind of keeping things in perspective when it comes to thinking about the college student. And I think they're a good reflection of, of, of Sylvester's comments back in December as well. Um, you would also suggested that one of our topics of conversation could be to reflect on how far the podcast has come. So let me have you open up with what you sure. think is um, what you think has has developed as we've done this. We're what two and a half years into this now, yeah. and um, how do you see the podcast developing over that time period? But I have, I, of course, our first season in the first few episodes. I was just it was. Just going, walking into darkness, just not sure where we're going to go. We didn't know who we were going to 
lineup to talk to. We didn't know always the topics that we were going to cover. I mean, I mean honestly, with as much as AIs come up, that was never a question yeah. in the beginning. That was that was a topic that really came up with our uh, interview with Curtis Larson. And before that, it was we didn't even discuss it. It wasn't really a hot topic at the time. So there was a lot of just wandering in that first season, which is natural. It's sort of the, the pre-writing phase. We even were sort of struggling through what we were going to call the podcast in the beginning. And Did we decide on Mouse Rat or Scarecrow? Yeah, <laughs> it was something, something to that extent. I remember at one point pitching a really long title just so we could... I think it involved Saga at some point, so if we go back. Um, but... I, I, I expected that. I expected a little bit of wandering in the beginning, and then it, I enjoyed moving into the second season of it. Really seemed like we we were able to get some. It coincided with a lot of speakers that were coming on campus, and we were able to get some some good interviews. And we always, when we didn't have interviews of a speaker coming on campus, we were able to interview somebody on campus that we knew really well. And I appreciated both of those. I have appreciated both of those because on the one hand, it's, it's, it was, a, it's amazing to talk to someone like Scott Hartley or Sylvester Johnson or Adam Dore. These, these are people who um, are, are, are brilliant. They have a lot of, I mean, I always encourage people to check out their work and, and say, see what they're saying about the humanities and technology but also bringing in people on campus who have expertise that, you know, some, sometimes I think we get in this mentality in higher education that we can't do something too close to home. We have to do it outside. You know, a conference on your campus isn't worth as much as a conference yeah. outside of your campus. And when it comes down to it, we have a lot of brilliant people. We have a lot of people who have great experiences. And also the benefit of these people is that <laughs> we both could just walk over to Susan's office and say, so what did you mean by that? And we can't do that with Scott Hartley or Sylvester Johnson or Adam Dore. And we could send them an email and hope that they'll respond to us. But it, these are these are people that we can continue a relationship with. So those two types of interviews I've really enjoyed. And I really at this point, hope that we can continue doing that. There's, there's just a logistical issue in the sense, which actually we'll talk about. This is a preference to the, the, the last, the next speaker that or the next guest that we're going to have with us. I'll, I'll talk about that later, but for the most part, we've been lucky to have people on our podcast that have been invited guests on campus. And I'm hoping that that continues where there is a little bit of a, a scary thing in the sense of if we don't get those speaker series, if they're not consistent, we might not have consistent guests. And so we're going to have to get a little creative with the people we invite. And then people would be stuck listening to us like they are today. Yes. And you can't, we can't do that every time. That would, that would not draw, that would just, the listenership would just plummet. I, I just think, you know, <laughs> I'm as interesting as anybody that I know. You're very interesting. But, you know, I, I'm a little bit biased in that opinion. So um, <laughs> that would be a challenge. Yeah. Um, just quickly, my thoughts on it is, uh, my, my thoughts on it are, I just think that the podcast itself, 
instead of just, I, I think the way that I look at the podcast has changed instead of it being reporting on this discussion between humanities and technology, it's become a big part of the discussion. You and I have both talked about the surprise that we feel, and this is keeping it local along with the comments that you were just making. We, we feel surprised when somebody walks up and say, hey, you know, I listened to the, mm -hmm. the, to the podcast episode and it was great. And it just kind of surprises us that maybe that wasn't some, someone that we thought would be listening to our podcast. And so we're not reporting only on the conversations that are going on between those in the humanities and those in technology and the intersection thereof, we're contributing, I hope, to, to that discussion. And I think that's something that's important, something that's significant. I also really um, enjoyed the podcast that we had our students to come on and mm -hmm. talk about Canvas and really give us a perspective of Canvas that is not always there for us as much as we want to, you know, as much as we can look in student view and, and all of that in Canvas, it's, it's something different to them than it is to us. And I think understanding that as much as we possibly can allows us to use it as an effective tool. I mean, going back, this goes all the way back to the conversation about Susan. I've always been someone who has, you know, try to reinforce every point that I make in class um, speaking with my voice with something visual as well. Mm -hmm. And um, in the old days, that meant I had to make a lot of overhead transparencies that, you know, I could have the words right up there um, on the screen via that transparency. But now it's putting my material in Canvas. And you know, I have this vision that this is what Canvas does. This is what Canvas is. These are the properties of this piece of technology, and there's nothing else that it does. But then hearing the students talk about it, hearing the students say, actually, you know, for us, these are the most important aspects of what goes on in Canvas. I found that very enlightening and um, something that I needed to hear from students. And like I said, something that I didn't get out of just clicking on student view when I go into Canvas. So that was a, that was a podcast that I enjoyed um, a lot. I, I've enjoyed them all, but that one kind of sticks out in my mind. Mm -hmm. And we've taken it on the road a little bit yeah. too. We went to Digital, Human Digital Humanity 7 up in Cedar City last year, and we uh, had our, had it, had episodes from our Global Technology Summit over across campus in the set building back in June. So that's been valuable for me as well to kind of see what people are doing in those kinds of meetings of the mind that we had in, in, in those kinds of places. Um, Digital Humanities 8 took place this past weekend at the University of Utah, and maybe um, there's a good chance that Digital Humanities 9 next winter will be right here on the Utah Tech campus. We'll keep you posted on that as we go forward. Um, Jim, you've got some projects that are going on that I want to talk about. One of them, yeah. one of them I've been um, fortunate to host um, through the Humanities Center. You and um, Dr. Um, uh, Kawai Yu in music came to... Uh, uh, Humanity Center presentation last semester and talked about a collaboration that you did with your students 
um, creating documentary films. And this past Friday, we were able to screen two of those films. And um, I was hoping you could talk a little bit about the project, how it came about, how it grew uh, in the class into the final format that you shared with us last week. Yeah. No, I, I really thank you for the opportunity through the, the Center of Humanities. I, I was able to get a grant. I was able to get uh, just, I, I think even more than the, the, the cash prize that came with the grant was, was the promotion and the opportunity to interact with, um, or the, the promotion of this type of assignment. And I mean, I, I actually, uh, let me tell you, I'll tell you what the assignment is and then I'll I'll tell you a little bit about about the impact of it. Um, so for the longest time, my, my English 3180, which is writing for the interactive media has been, the focus of the course has been writing towards a type of media that is not writing. And so we talk a lot about multimodality, the, the idea that, that communication isn't just written communication and it's not just verbal, it's visual, it's auditory, it's spatial, it's gestural. And so the final project for that class has been for, for a while has been putting students in groups and having them script out and then film a documentary. And, and there's been a lot of technological troubleshooting because these are primarily English majors. They're not students that are in um, film studies or uh, media studies. And that's what I I like about it. I always kind of tell people, what's the difference between this course versus a a, a digital film or or media studies course? And I always say it's, it's writing focused. It's how does a writer create a product? And so we don't worry as much about some of the the nuances of the filming as much as how did you translate the uh, linguistic text? How did you translate a script into something that's not a script? It, the, the, it turns into a, a type of media. So uh, it, it, it's been a project that, was, that I've used for a while, and I used to just have students just pick, you choose a topic. And uh, over the years, something I've learned as an instructor is that you don't let students pick their own project ideas. <laughs> um, not because I, I, I want to constrain them, but because I know that choice can freeze up students. And yeah. so there's always, if you have a group of uh, four different groups, there's always one that knew from day one what they were going to do. You have another one that just found the easiest possible topic as, you know, they, they, they found the path of least resistance. And you usually have about half of them that just are sitting there going, I don't know what we're going to do. I guess we'll just do a documentary on rocks. <laughs> and and they, they, they don't, it's such a head scratching, you know, I mean, I know part of the learning process is sort of making a choice with the topics you're going to pursue. But I think it's sometimes can be a needless anxiety that if you kind of just want to give them, you know, here is the, the project and they should to um, pursue this. So for this particular project, I said, what would, it would be great if these primarily English majors will, would interact 
with music students. And actually, I, I learned later that they actually weren't music students. They were, they had music scholarships and were taking music classes, but they were actually majors across the campus that had, had a music scholarship. So that even kind of enhanced this experience, but I asked them to do documentaries and primarily I wanted them to pursue, figure out the learning process of these students figure out why they're playing that particular instrument. And, and these folks turned out to be cello players. Right? And they all, they were all cello players. Players. Yes. Um, I, I actually didn't quite know that at first. I just thought I, it was kind of my ignorance of the fact that that's Kawhi's specialty. And so I, I, I thought that he had, he, he'd worked in multiple stringed instruments, but cello is his primary, primary focus. And, and so he, um, they were all cello students and, you know, just I I was excited to see how students were capturing another student's experience, and so it it, it was a great project. I, I think my <laughs> so I've also learned as an instructor that it doesn't necessarily matter if my students enjoyed the project. Is uh, you ask, did they get something out of it? And I really think they did. They you know, there was some troubleshooting that they had to do, which is always something I like as an instructor. I like it when they encounter problems and, and figure out how to solve those. But it, it, it was a it was a really great project. And when I look back on, because I've had that assignment for, for a long time, it's when you, you talk about technology, it's always been this sort of psychological and logistical barrier for a lot of these students to go, how do I create a documentary? I don't have the equipment. And what is interesting now in these these days is that a documentary can be filmed easily on a cell phone. Right. And right. that's not that wasn't always the case. That wasn't the case when I started this assignment several years ago. It used to be that they would have to find a camera somewhere and they they could use their cell phone but it was such poor quality, but now it's to the point where their cell phone is a better quality than than what they could rent or buy right. for a reasonable price. So this is all on their cell phones and so it, it's and on the one hand, it makes it a whole lot easier. On the other hand, it's just a, comp a indication of where the technology is at. That you have, you don't necessarily have to deal with cameras and an editing program and all of these and and boom mics and all that stuff. But you also still need to put together a quality product and, and troubleshoot it. So it, it was, I I, I appreciate the opportunity to, to work with 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 Dr. Kawhi Yu and, and those students. And it was, it was a good project. Yeah. And the, and the products looked, looked great, like you said, and, and they, they, you meant for them not to be necessarily professionally done, even, you know, to the level of, of students here studying digital film and things like that. But I thought the subject matter worked really well so that you could have, you know, various backgrounds, right? You're interviewing the cello players, you have, shots of them practicing you have shots of them performing the two that i saw various shots of them playing at different locations across campus i, I just thought it was great and uh, your, your comment about technology is is 
I think very important and very relevant because you and I have both in the past had students do podcast assignments. But when we started doing that, you know, five, eight years ago, there, you know, there weren't commercials on YouTube saying, start your podcast on your phone. That's all you need. Start your podcast on your phone. Here's all you have to do. So I think with YouTube videos and, and podcasts that everybody can be a part of that discussion. And I think seeing your students do that was, was great, um, great products. And, um, for the foreseeable future, we're hoping to house those documentaries for the time being on at least the Utah Tech Humanities Center page and maybe even get them linked to the English department page so that people can see the kind of work that our students are doing. Now, you're staying pretty busy with a lot of projects. Mm -hmm. The last section that you had here was let's talk about projects and it's looking like there's a lot of gym projects and not any <laughs> Randy projects. It's a semester of gym, <laughs> no question. Um, you've been asked to be a keynote speaker at El Camino College in California. Um, tell me a little bit about what you are going to, to be doing there. It, it was an exciting idea. I, I mean, I kind of, I don't want to downgrade it, but I, I did sort of stumble on this opportunity, which I'm very grateful for. It, um, and yeah, I, I'm talking about AI and that's initially when you said, we're going to avoid talking about AI, <laughs> no I was AI. like, well, I, I can't avoid talking about on this one. But it, when I, it, if I can tie all of what we've talked about so far back to, you know, a lot of this podcast experience has helped me process my understanding of technology and specifically AI, you know, I mean, if you go back, I always kind of joke about it, but you go back to it. I mean, I am definitely the panic voice early on. And then you can sort of just track me like where's Jim, Jim's <laughs> comfort level from, from Curtis Larson to Mike Peterson. You can, <laughs> you can track where Jim's emotions are on, on AI. You and, have, you have served a very important rhetorical function, <laughs> planting the naysayer in your writing. Yes. Yes, and very early on, I my reaction was um, I was uncomfortable, and uh, you know, sort of a preview as I've been constructing this keynote presentation is it's a lot has been about how we've reacted so far and how we can find stability in what we've been doing for a very long time. And that's important is it, I, I think there's, there's a tendency when something new comes to just be able to like, oh, well, that's the new thing and that's what we're going to focus on. And that needs to be grounded by what we've been doing for a very long time. And I, I kind of, I might, may or may not, I'm still in some brainstorming phases with certain parts of the presentation, but I was even going to talk about the relation of our experience with technology is very similar to um, going back to, uh, and let me get this, the citation correct because I want to get, um, it's, it, I think we've all heard about, we just haven't always known who the person was attributed to, but it's um, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross was the, was one of the people that coined the, uh, the five stages of grief. Uh -huh. And, and so the, and we've, we've even heard it, the, the idea of denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Yes. And I, I think one of the things I was going to talk about is that I think our reaction to technology, because it's a sense of grieving the past and grieving what we thought was our reality in the writing classroom, 
was that took place in that. And for me personally, you know, I, I, I went through those stages, denial. I thought, well, this isn't really a thing. It's not going to happen. And then when it was a real thing, I was kind of upset. I was like, great, now I need to find a new job. Um, and then bargaining was like, well, maybe we'll get in the conversation and make sure that, <laughs> that, that, that academia has a strong voice in this. And then there was a sadness that set in, and now there's acceptance. <laughs> um, but th- there's this, what I wanted to talk about in this keynote was you know, how do we avoid a stream, extreme reactions and not just an extreme reaction to say, this is the worst thing that can impact us, but also this, I think it's a, an equally extreme reaction when you hear from certain people, well, this is the way it is and this is what we're going to do now. And I, I, I kind of, I resist the, well, this is just the way it is because our job is to constantly question the tools that we're going to be using. Is it effective? Is it useful? And not just a, you know, it's being handed to us and saying, well, let's just got to deal with it. Um, I, and so I, I, I think there's a middle ground. And I mean, even going back to someone like Mike, who I think has embraced a lot of that middle ground, which is we can be skeptical while embracing it. And, um, so I, I, I felt, I I felt like I've already done a lot of background work on this, just through this podcast, talking to people like Sylvester Johnson, talking to people like Mike Peterson. Um, even we've had John Wolf on here, um, a a while back, even before AI. Second episode. Yeah. Second episode. And he, he, um, I've had a lot of really great conversations with him about AI and I mean, he, he, He's presented uh, it, at, and I it, like it. It really hits my emotions, but he presents it in a way that, just matter of fact, I mean, it it completely changes how we as- assess student learning, and to me, that's hard because I that's all I've known is how do we, we assess learning through writing, but maybe there's something that we're assessing student learning in different ways in a writing course, you know, it, I guess in, in short, his, our, our conversations have been based around, it's a nudge to innovate in our learning, which is always an important thing that we need to be doing. So just a lot of, of, I, when I initially was invited to talk there, I had that feeling like a lot of people, which is like, I have a, I'm staring at a blank screen. I have no idea what to talk about. But when I actually look at all the the conversations we've had about AI on this podcast and then outside of this podcast, it, I'm very well informed about where, about this topic. And, and so I'm excited for the opportunity and it's, it should be, I'm hoping it's in El, El Camino college. It's, uh, in, in, I mean, in this, this is very general, but it's in Southern California. Um, I'm hoping the weather is going to be nice. It's going to be the end of March. Yeah, <laughs> it should be. Although these days it feels like California is being hit by hurricanes. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so yes, it could be, storms. there could be a hurricane or yeah. something that hit through there. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> no, I think that's a great opportunity and uh, congratulations on mm-hmm. that. Um, Lastly, you are going to give us a little bit of a preview of our next guest because you have arranged for a a great guest to be on our podcast, which we are going to record right here in the studio on March 18th. Tell us a little bit about um, the guest that you've 
arranged. So we, we, I alluded to this earlier, a lot of these guests, just to pull back the curtain, a lot of guests that we've had have been arranged through speaker series on on campus and the outside guests. And I, um, and, and we didn't have one lined up for next month. And I, I thought about it and I'm actually, so um, Dr. Kristen Erla um, is at Michigan State. She specializes in uh, indigenous interfaces and also digital humanities. And she um, has done a lot of work in those areas. She was previously at Washington State University and she was one of my dissertation directors. And I just, I was like, it's one of those moments where it dawned on me, oh, I have somebody that I have their cell phone number. We could have them talk, and they're they're very fantastic in their knowledge. Um, One of the things that also I wanted to talk to her about is she has um, she's a co-editor of Crosstalk in Composition Theory. It's the fourth edition, and when I was a graduate student, I, I I read that that text. It was initially just edited by Victor Villanueva, and it was focusing on the foundations of composition theory. And for me, I'll just give a real brief background on this. I got my bachelor's in English lit. And so when I went into rhetoric and composition in graduate school, I was, wasn't really that well-versed in composition theory. So that book really gave me a, an understanding of where composition theory was at, but it was, it was a, uh, understanding of composition theory that didn't really cover technology. I mean, I think the first edition was, I think, put out in the 90s. And so Kristen has really stepped in in the, the latest editions and made uh, digital technology a, a large part of that text. And so it's really kind of rounded it out for, for students. So she she's an expert in that, in that field. And excited to talk to her about the projects that she's working on right now. And also, yes, she, she does um, work with indigenous interfaces. So that's another layer of her expertise that, that we haven't actually covered really at all. No, no. And just a little bit of preliminary uh, look into her work. I'm really uh, came across a phrase that I'm really interested in asking her about um, composing as culturing Mm -hmm. this idea of the importance that these communities uh, the the importance that that writing and composing has in the kinds of communities that she's she's working with. So I'm mm-hmm. I'm looking I'm very much looking forward to it as well. So thank you for your hard work in in oh, arranging yeah. that. That's well, it, <laughs> you're welcome. I it, it's funny how sometimes the the great opportunities that we have in life are right there in front of us if we just don't ever think about it. So I was like, oh, I, I it was actually on social media that I saw her holding up a co- the latest edition of Crosstalk okay. and saying, oh, and I was like. I I just could reach out to her. I think it would be a fantastic interview. There you go. So thank you um, for that that, uh, information. We've come to the end of of the episode. We've made it. We did it. it We talked for 50 minutes. You know how how exciting it was. Has anybody listened, though, for 50 minutes is (laughs) is the larger question. (laughs) How exciting it was is for others besides us Mm -hmm. to decide, but... uh, this has been the Being Human UT podcast. Um, we look forward to having you join us again for another episode. But until then, um, I am Randy Jasmine. I'm Jim Hendigas. And we'll see you next time. 
This has been the Being Human UT podcast with Dr. Randy Jasmine and Dr. Jim Hindigas. Please follow and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. From Utah Tech University, this is the Being Human UT podcast. This has been a production from a podcast studio.